What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Panthers Nation Network. It's finally here, y'all. The the I guess I mean the calendar's been switched around to the new football season, but finally we're getting some stuff on the field past mini camp, past rookie camp, you know, the rookie mandatory stuff, and we're at training camp. And it's always awesome to see us go back to Wofford to see all the people come in, all the different players come in. And I gotta say it was even weird seeing uh seeing Baker drive in too, but I'm glad Shaq has chauffeured him around. <laughs> yeah, man, it's great to see, man. Look good to feel like football's back. I mean, we slowly but surely getting back to normalcy on, on, on all the social media platforms. We want to quickly, we got, we can stop with the basketball narratives and get back to real sports and an actual sensible takes on, on, on social media platforms. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a good feeling. You know, we are starting to finally get some, get some light from the NFL. You know, we've been, you know, that June month, that June month, as we know, is pretty rough when it comes to um, news and like stuff going on around the league. So, you know, now we're going to get, um, reports coming out like crazy things, um, you know, people, you know, updates from camp, which is going to be awesome um, hearing about the training camp and, um, you know, especially as it goes on, because, you know, it seems you know, right now a lot of the teams are easing into it, you know, slowly ramping up. So, you know, in that middle part, end of part of training camp, that's when you really start to get the takes coming from um, the different teams and really start to you know, get the outlook um, from the season. But I got to say, the rule just couldn't do it. He couldn't let us go into camp with some form of of just security. He had to slip one last one in there and talk about how the quarterback decision does not end on him. It ends on the players. And that just couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. I don't know what possesses him to say something like that. It just... It just it culminates the lack of accountability he puts into his, into his work every day. To me, I just I do not understand why that needed to be said. You know, like we're not stupid, uh, but I, exactly. I, I we're, we're we're not stupid, and the players didn't make the decision to sign any of these quarterbacks that you have on the roster. So it's not the players making that decision. You clearly are at at the helm making that call. I I get it. Whoever the players respond to the most, I guess, will be. How you de- de- how you would want to determine who the starter would be, but that's not that's not the case at all. That's not the case at all, man. It's just that's just such a a weird thing to say, and it speaks it it it, it sounds on brand for a guy that hasn't figured it out yet in this league. So I can't necessarily say I'm surprised. Yeah, you know, from that aspect of you know the, the quarterback and then deciding the leader of the team, uh, you know, it's it's very it's very interesting right now seeing you know the videos of players showing up to camp and, you know, we're at the point right now where, you know, going through those, those videos, the first thing that I thought of was like, wow, like these guys, like I remember when these guys were early in their career, they weren't the vets. They were going to learn from, you know, Cam, Greg Olson, um, you know, even Luke when he was still, still going, like those, those were the young guys coming in, but now it's Shaq Thompson, uh, you know, giving, giving Baker a ride and stuff. So it's like, wow, it's really the turning of um you know it, and it's been in it's been this for a couple of years you know the changing of the guard in carolina um changing from the vets that had been there to the super bowl team and the and the teams that had all that success from you know the new look panthers and it's still in that transition um but we really um you know aside from a couple of players there's still that um that need for guys that are foundational guys, not just as players on the field, but as um, leaders and like staples, you know, you guys down there have a much better sense than me being from the area and how, um, you know, I think you guys bring a good perspective of, you know, the camaraderie around the city and Panthers that are, um, you know, staples um, and love down there. And so I think, you know, as we find that, 
Um, and the quarterback, you know, that's going to be huge if one of them can step up and really become the guy and become the leader for years to come, um, as we talked about so much with the trajectory of these guys. And and that's what I'm really looking to see here. Like, I think especially not even – it's almost to the point where, like, the – on play, you know, footage that we see obviously always matters when you come to training camp. But for me, particularly, it's going to be more so the, you know, the the, the media, uh, the media interactions, you know, the, the the what we see as far as leadership interactions from Baker in this, you know, in this spot. That's really what's being put on on a pedestal right now. What's being put under the looking glass is seeing how he's going to start interacting with these guys this early on, which is why rules comments baffle me so much because. Why would you want to put that narrative out, especially when you have a wide receiver who was fairly outspoken about the court of two of the current quarterbacks on our roster at this moment? You want to make it look like they're the ones making the decisions when, you know, obviously what, you know, what Robbie said about Cam, we'll get to that in a little bit, but we show, you know, it showed that Cam's presence there did have an impact on Robbie. But I just, that's just another thing that baffles me. It's because the players weren't telling you to put in Cam Newton, weren't telling you to start Cam Newton a week into him being there, not knowing that they weren't telling you that. And if so, why were you listening? That's, that's my other question is the players can say all they want. That doesn't mean you listen or let them make those decisions. Yeah, man. Rule is just, he's just been one. It's just, it's just been this, this has been his NFL career. It's been one. It's just been very confusing. No sense of direction. We've said this millions of times before. Like, and like, it's just like, do you have a clue of what you're saying? Like when you say this, you do understand. Like this has to be interpreted by everybody, and and can this be easily di- digested and and put out the way you intended for it to be, bro? This sounded nothing. I I, I promise this did not go as well as he predicted. And it's it probably sounded. I don't it, know it, when it, it sounded a lot better in his head. I don't know what. I mean, it has to, right? Like it, it has to say. Like he he can't be. He's got to be have some sort of sense that this is going to sound good. He just needs like a whole PR department. But some of the things I'm looking to see here as we go into this training camp, especially and into the season in general, as, as far as training camp goes, you know, coming on this first day, it's there's always a, you watch those position battles. They're not really, in, at least in my mind right now, a whole lot of position battles that I'm looking for. I'm looking more for position chemistry. You know, that front seven, front four, especially the offensive line. As far as wide receivers go, I would rather all of them succeed. I don't need competition in either of them, even with the quarterback. I don't want a competition. Just put the guy out there who's going to be the best for your team. And if you have a a, a, speci- a specified idea of who that's going to be, just, just run with that. Even with running back, you know, I don't want to see a competition. I want to see a collaboration. That's my biggest thing with it, with this training camp. But something I do, I hope to see pretty early on. I'm going to ask y'all what you would want to see. I'm hoping to see fairly early on um, a, a connection brewing between DJ and, and Baker. That's my that's my biggest thing is that I hope to see. We know he's got that consistency across these quarterbacks, and but we know also Baker's had some issues. You know, providing you know getting good retention out of his wide receivers, guys like Jarvis Landry and OBJ. You know, the number one guys you think would be performing have you know t- tended to fall off a little bit with him so i'm hoping that that is that connection establishes early uh what are y'all looking for as we get into this training camp man first thing for me is seeing who's gonna be the who on the defensive line can stand out besides guys like brian burns Derek brown's obviously shown steady improvement but can a guy like davion nixon who's a guy that i've been high on since we drafted him seems to have all the tools to be able to be an elite interior pass rusher. Can he elevate his game to the point where he can be a guy to play alongside Derrick Brown and make that a dominant front? And not just a, not just a front that has his moments and is good at times and it's kind of inconsistent. Can he, can Davion Nixon bring it to the point where we, we, we had that level of dominance back to the defensive line? 
Yeah, absolutely. With the the defensive line personnel, um, I think from a personnel standpoint and the players earning reps and earning time, that's definitely going to be the biggest, um, one of the biggest position groups to watch for. Uh, but for me, it's going to be the O-line and secondary. Two, you know, two units on the team where the most communication happens. And, you know, for a team that, uh, you know, is not going to be as talented as a lot of the teams that we play, especially um, a lot of the AFC opponents that were, you know, they're really, really loaded. We need to get it done in other ways, right? And so we, you know, we sit here right now with an offensive line that we've invested a lot of resources in, um, where, you know, we feel good about this offense line and, and talent wise, it's got to be above average, you know, it, uh, when it comes to league wise, but now can we get everybody to come together and play, um, and maximize what they have talent wise, you know, Icky coming in, um, we're going to see him and Christensen, you know, probably with Icky at left tackle and Christensen at left guard. And, you know, obviously veterans like Moten on board and Bozeman Corbett, you know, a lot of new faces on this offensive line. How can we combine them all to a communication standpoint and get them all on the same page to make the unit work as one. And same for the secondary, you know, a young group that, um, you know, had, had spent some time last year, um, guys coming in and out. But how can, you know, those guys coming back, you know, establish themselves as starters and really make the whole thing um, work as one? I, I would agree with you there. I'm, I'm, I'm looking more so, especially as far as cohesion, because, you know, the, uh, we have the ability for the running back room to be one of the best, the best in the NFL at this point in time, if we use, if we utilize them all properly. But for me, I think, you know, obviously the offensive line needs to have that and, and it, it can't, we cannot win if it doesn't have that, that's going to have to be put in the, in the front of the fold immediately. But I'm hoping to see naturally as we go along, a lot of these guys, you know, it concerns me with, with Phil snow. We have a lot of free agents or a lot of new guys coming out of this defense at every level. You know, you got, um, I'm not gonna be able to, I can never pronounce his name coming from the, from the, the commanders, the, the tackle. I can never. Ionitis. Yeah. Ionitis. Thank you. We got Ionitis coming, you know, there up front. Then you have Xavier woods in the back as well. Corey Littleton and, um, uh, the Jags linebacker we got who I'm, have we don't, do we even know what's happening legally with him? I know there was some issues with him. Was it, was it Damian Wilson? Was it? Was that yeah, that? Damian Wilson. He had some. There were some legal issues there. I don't. I have you know, not we, heard anything about know, that. We have several Panthers with uh, with troubles with the law, <laughs> so it's kind of. I haven't heard much from any of those of those situations. So, and, and at this point, I feel like the team was probably much more aware than will ever be. So, at this, I, maybe it's handled. Maybe it's. Maybe it's something. It may be some type of understanding or, or or whatever going on, at least between the players and the team, and whatever that may be. But I haven't heard anything else come out about anything. I, I would imagine ESPN would probably be right on it as soon as it broke. So, I would imagine so. So, but what I, I say that to mean that you know, there's guys coming in that are gonna have to. They're they're not just fill-ins. They're gonna be starters. I mean, like our whole you know linebacking core has pretty much been overhauled, and it's gonna be, I imagine depending upon what system we run. I'm interested to see if, if snow changes up his system a little bit here and how he runs this defense with, you know, the way with the pieces we've added here um, on in the front seven, and especially there, you know, the overhaul we have in the back four where we could, you know, run a lot more nickel and dime sets if we wanted to, but I'm interested because, you know, guys like Corey Littleton, Damian Wilson and Ioannidis are going to get pretty immediate roles right off the bat. And we have had a history of, especially in this regime, not implementing those guys the best, you know, got only guys like Gilmore who are established leaders have really followed through and, and been there. But, you know, we look at, I mean, 
uh, you know, Jaquan Jones had his had his moments there. He had his moment, and I thought, you know, better off than we, what we had before. But I mean, then we look, of course, at, at Denzel Perryman, which we, you know, didn't think was even going to. We we uh, the organization put him out to not even going to be someone who's going to be contributing, and then we see what he does in Vegas, being you know the pretty much dominant force of their defense. So I'm hoping we don't put we take those blinders off and don't apply them to Littleton and Wilson, who I think could be great rotation guys. I think Littleton brings a lot to that outside edge to help out. You know, he's almost like a Shaq in the same kind of way. You know, he provides what Shaq did when TD and Luke were running around. You know, we're running the defense and Shaq was just kind of off on the side. I think Shaq has come into his own and I'm expecting a big year from Shaq, one of the biggest we've seen. I'm hoping for, and I, I hope that we just utilize these these guys well that we brought in. We spent the money on them. You know, the money could have gone somewhere else, but we we eyed in on these guys. I, we just can't let it go to waste. Absolutely not, man. Absolutely not. I mean, I, like you say, it's got it's got to be a plan to make sure we implement these guys. You can't have guys walk out the door like a Perryman who, look, however they felt about Pedenza Perryman, let's be clear, he was definitely – the best, the best linebacker, probably only second to Shaq Thompson in our in our linebacking group. After, and that's even before he he even had the season. He 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 wouldn't have with the Oakland with, with the Las Vegas Raiders. Like you said, Ionitis can can Ionitis fill the role that we wanted Daquan Daquan Jones to fill? Can he be consistent? Can he can he bring consistent production at that interior at that interior lineman spot? Again, the on paper these signings seem legitimate. They seem well thought out. Can they can they properly execute them and, and, and implement these guys into having effective seasons? Only time will tell. Again, I, the, the biggest question mark, like you said, here is always going to be the coaching staff and it being Phil Snow. And even though he's been one of the more consistent guys on the staff since his new regime has taken over, I still like the guy probably behind him even more to run to run the show. And I, and I, and, I, and I hope my hope is that. Maybe there's a communication between Wilkes and and Snow as far as tips that he can give them to help improve the overall the overall defense. Yeah, you know, it'd be interesting to see um, if they kind of co-call it with you know Wilkes working with the secondary and then Snow, um, you know, working with the front seven, seeing how they can com- maybe combine different stunts and upfront games compared with the back end. So you know that could be something to watch. You know, if Wilkes really does take that next step in um you know covering the secondary but uh you know with with the front seven and the guys involved um you know i feel i feel like every day i just am more thankful for shaq thompson you know he balled out last year and really um in a tough season where things started great and then that all that you know the 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 great start was kind of just stolen from us you know shaq thompson persevered and you know remained consistent throughout the season and was always somebody that was fun to watch and just thinking back on last season especially now with with camp coming up um, just thinking more about him and how he's kind of you know established himself on this defense and how you know how you know how how well that draft pick worked out you know with in late in the first round going with Shaq Thompson you know knowing full well that we had Keekley and Davis and then how we were able to bring Shaq along to now um, in 2022 he's the you know he's the man on the defense so you know really exciting he's 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 definitely a staple and definitely going to you know try to remain thankful for him throughout the season whether um you know whether we have the success or not but you know it's going to be cool to see him work with a guy like Brandon Smith who's not not completely dissimilar to what Shaq was coming out like you know Shaq had the history at running back at Washington um an athletic guy who 
um, you know, really bulked up in his, in his transfer to the league. But, um, you know, you know, Brandon Smith's just like Shaq, another athletic guy, probably not going to be somebody that plays year one, but down the road, you know, the upside is through the roof with his athletic ability. So um, how can Shaq learn from Keekley and Davis, guys who brought him along to then bringing on a guy like Brandon Smith, who, you know, the potential is absolutely there. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I think Shaq, you know, gets almost an underwhelming amount of recognition in that regard, because, I mean, as far as, you know, looking at it now, I mean, he's been the most pivotal piece from that era on this team. And, you know, he still stayed through and and helped guide this transition and keep the defense, you know, at least still respectable. And obviously received that, you know, that training from Keekly and, and Davis, thank God, when he did, because now, you know, like you said last year, the number change. I mean, we were all waiting for something, you know, we, we, we were waiting for it. The, the output was always up and down. It was, it was, there was very little consistency. We knew, and, and the on-field presence was a bit more underhanded. Like you couldn't really tell. And then that number switched. And I remember that first week coming out against the jets and it was like a whole new person coming. Out. He looked like he gained 15 pounds when the number changed. And like, he looked, he looked like the guy out of Washington that we were advertised that we were getting the versatile athlete, the one that can run all over, that can play multiple positions, play all over the field, and add that versatility that we had just that we had so been you know sold on. And, and, and like you said, and like you said, you know Brandon Smith also being one one of those guys that he's that's gonna have to go go under uh, Thompson's wing. I mean, honestly, I'm excited for. Not necessarily excited, but I'm intrigued by a lot of the young guys. The twenty, the twenty-one draft class and the twenty-two draft class, they have to play pivotal roles in how how this team progresses. I mean, last year the twenty-one class, very up and down for the majority. Tommy Trumbull was the only guy that really seemed to to make his mark as a starter. The twenty-two class being a bunch of guys that kind of seem like project guys that are so versatile, but doesn't they don't have to necessarily have a a home as far as like a centralized position. Can they can they find ways to contribute early on? I mean, I'm intrigued to see how all of the young guys step up. Terrace Marshall, Shaw Smith, Barno, Brandon Smith, but a lot of guys that have that have opportunity to, to elevate themselves as far as being a part of this team moving forward. I mean, I think you know if we talk about especially who we're looking to step up. I mean, we know it's a big year for our veterans. We we we, we say it every year, and it, it it hurts a little bit more every time we say it. You know, Burns either needs to play to the recognition he's supposed to get or he needs to stop getting that recognition. And we need to, we need to temper our expectations as to what, you know, we're going to get from him. And I think it's so funny that our owner's name is Tepper because that's such a, we got to temper our expectations for whatever we're doing. But for me though, I think it's a huge, huge year for the 20 class for the 2020 class, especially on, like I said, on the defensive side of the ball with the pieces we have in place. We talk about Derek Brown, you know, he's, this is like, he's got from what we've heard, one of the best defensive tackles, to par- to pair with another defensive tackle in Ioannidis. We've heard, I mean, Tyler, I know that's what we've been talking about since we got him is the the back and forth that the two of them can have together. Same with Yatur, you know, had the unhealthy year. Then with the son, didn't really, you know, he was not utilized as much. But I, I, this could be a huge year for Yatur in terms of how he's going to play with Burns. You know, we want to see that that Pep and Johnson kind of chemistry, you know, that that Pep and Rucker kind of chemistry on each side of the ball where they can both attack and you have to pick which one you're going to put your tight end on to, to, to hurt them. And then same with Jeremy Chin. With the addition of, uh, of Woods and hopefully a full healthy year for Burris, I'm hoping that with especially the linebackers we have right now that maybe he can be that flex guy that we've wanted him to be and that he's been, you know, he's been advertised as where he can go from anywhere on the field because you would hope with, with woods back there, it takes him a little bit of time to get things together, but he's been in the league for a good amount of time. Now, same with, with Burris, we've seen Burris be a consistent, 
you know, a, a, a safety back there, and for lack of better words. But um, that's why I'm hoping for for Chinton. You know, those three guys specifically. This is big years for them in terms of what their roles are going to be in this defense moving forward. You have the opportunity here for a defense that could rival what we had seen. You know, back from 2011 to 2015, and then from you know 1995 onward so that's what i'm hoping or it could you know just kind of because and that's what's going to speak to this regime as a whole this was the first thing for this regime to do to draft seven defensive guys seven you know in, in seven spots it was the first big thing that we got as a taste of this what this regime was going to be so now more so than ever is where we need to see what that's going to provide for us for the team going forward yeah, man. It, 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 like, like Derrick Brown, for example, and I, and I hate to throw in Madden ratings as a as a true indicator of how good a guy is, but I mean, he was rated as one of the top defensive tackles on on the game. And I, I know that's not a true I- indicator, but he's a guy that has to show us, hey, you're in that elite class. Brian Burns, for like Brian Burns, like you said, a guy that's gotten a lot of recognition, has the flair, the personality, all woo woo, but. The on-field production is not one of a guy that warrants the type of love he's got. And even flipping on on the other side of the ball, DJ Moore, is it? Does he have that? He's given he's given us several 1,100 yard seasons, but he needs that big marquee year, a 1,400, a 1,300 to 1,400 yard season, around eight touchdowns. Can you put yourself in that elite class? I mean, he's been he's shown the consistency, but there is a we're at a point in time with all of these guys where. It's time to take the next step and either be elite or we need to, like like you said, tap, tap our expectations and put you in a more realistic class. Right. You know, when it comes to team building and the way a lot of teams do it, like those moves bringing in Derek Brown, like uh, Isaiah Simmons was somebody that um, was highly regarded to be the Panthers pick and what a lot of fans wanted. Derek Brown wasn't the flashy pick, but it ends up being the right pick. You know, we'll talk, you know, especially getting Jeremy Chin down the road, and that helps too. But, um, you know, the Panthers have done well in adding pieces. Um, you know, the DJ Moore pick was, it ended up working out. And, you know, Derek Brown, Brian Burns, the difference between, you know, teams um, similar to us where, you're, you know, you're adding these good pieces and other teams that continue to add those good pieces. Um, you know, the, the, it's the same amount of capital going around, but it's those teams being able to elevate the play of their pieces and go from um, good player to great player, great player to elite player. So I think that's going to be the next step with us. And, you know, especially considering, you know, what the, um, you know, specifically for DJ Moore, what the receiver market looks like now um, after Christian Kirk got that deal this offseason that really reset the market because, um, you know, you guys know, like Christian Kirk got paid. Then the rest of the big time receivers were like, well, hey, he's getting that much money. Why don't I make like five more million than that? So that reset the receiver market. Um, the, the prices are out of this world now. So when it comes time that DJ Moore is getting paid again, um, you know, he's really got to earn that next contract because um, it, it takes a, an arm and a leg nowadays to to you know pay receivers in this economy. So uh, where where he goes from here is, is really up to him. And and you know he'll get paid somewhere, but to stay in Carolina, which is something that you know he's definitely going to want to do. And it seems like that's what he you know that's where his heart is. But you know you never know with, with that. But um, you know with the receiver market, you really got to earn it because look at look at some of the teams this offseason. You know the Ravens trading away Hollywood Brown for that first round pick. You know one of the reasons. The, the amount that you have to spend on receivers nowadays is is astronomical. So, you know, to really step up and be in that elite status, we'll secure him that um, elite contract. 
Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right there. Christian Kirk and the Jaguars decided to screw everybody over and and just make a ridiculous a ridiculous move. And then the Cardinals did the same now with Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray and the deal that he was given. And so it's going to get to this point where inflation's hitting everybody, y'all. We're going to get it's going to get horrible so quickly. But you talk about DJ. I mean, I it seems like this would be that kind of year where this would th- be the takeoff year for him. It just it really it's going to be. I feel like there's no middle ground about it with Baker, you know, because, and it's all going to depend. It's going to come down to, you know, the consistent quarterback player. Are we going to keep switching guys around, trying Sam one week, trying Baker another week, trying someone else, you know, trying Corral by the week, time we get to week 10? That's going to really have an issue. I mean, he's been able to, you know, show consistent performance with different quarterbacks, but, you know, just, con- but if this is what his ceiling has been consistent with, with, you know, a lack of consistency, then I'm really excited about what his ceiling could be if he's got someone in there that he builds chemistry with very early. And you would think, I mean, if we're thinking about the guys other than maybe Rashad Higgins, he would be, you know, as far as wideouts go, he would be that mark. I, I, I would think personally. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm kind of, I, I got this feeling in the back of my head that that's going to be the DJ Baker connection is going to be, is going to be a good one this year prompted that they utilize just Baker and they try to push him forward because I mean, even rule said it in the presser, we've got, he said, we got one of the most talented quarterback rooms in the country, which is just absolutely baffling to me. And I, uh, I can't, I can't really explain anything about that. I don't know what you, what your take was on it, uh, bro. I, 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 he, he sounds like a college coach. And I just, I just can never shake the image of him being a youth. Like when you, when you, when you told me he looks like a youth pastor, I'm like, he sounds like a youth pastor. I'm like, you're right, because everything he says sounds disingenuous. It just sounds. It does. It, it sounds so. It just sounds disingenuous. Like I can't take it serious, man. I, I, I truly can't. But you know, back to the to Baker and DJ Moore connection. I, I, I believe Baker and DJ Moore, because of the type of style receiver DJ Moore is, he's a guy that you can you can utilize in a lot of different ways to get him going. Um, a guy that's great after the catch as well. I think that helps helps out any quarterback. I mean, we saw it with Kyle Allen. It helped Kyle Allen out a lot. And DJ Moore was still able to produce. Even with Sam Darnold, helped them produce. Teddy Bridgewater helped him produce. All guys of which that I don't think are elite or pushing the ball down the field, elite at making big time throws down the field. He still he still was able to come away with, with, with a lot of those big time plays, even even with those guys at the helm. Baker Mayfield probably is the best quarterback he's seen on a roster since 2018 Cam Newton. So That's, yeah. So I mean I gotta hope that that connection can work. And it and it, and it seems I, I I think DJ Moore is one of those guys that he's underrated in the sense that I think he's a he's just a band-aid for a lot of things. I think he and his ability makes up for a lot of what a quarterback may lack, but it just it just doesn't it just doesn't rise totally above to where you just see how elite his game is. Like it, I guess it's productive, but it's okay. You know, it is not flashy. It's nothing that just it just pops out at you. But when you watch him, you see that okay, yeah. When he gets the ball in his hands, it's a lot different than when anybody else touches it. And I, I would agree with that, especially because of just, I mean, we knew that coming forward when we saw the tape at him out of Maryland, we knew that that was what it was going to be. And that's what his strong point was going to be. And it was weird, you know, and, and that's been the problem for DJs that we've never, like, it's not been in the past where like we had a Smitty and Musa Muhammad, or we even had, you know, like a, a Kelvin Benjamin and Ted Ginn or something, you know, or even like, you know, things like that nature <clears throat> where he's always, it's been DJ. And then it's been, you know, um, Samuels. 
who were playing very similar roles on the offense. And even last year, I mean, I would say, you know, that as far as the types of receivers they are, that DJ and Robbie bring the same sort of things to the table in terms of your speed and your route running and your, you know, deep ball threat, the yards after the catch. DJ hasn't had a guy that has complimented him, you know, as a red zone threat, a bigger guy, you know, your, 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 your high point catcher. He's not had that. And it's been weird to try to establish yourself as a kind of, as that kind of person, all while not having that there on the other side of the ball. And, and I talk about, you know, DJ especially, but the thing that also concerns me is the direction with which we're planning to utilize our offense, because it's kind of like what I always thought was the problem with uh, Baker and the Browns in their term was the almost too many cooks in the kitchen. I mean, you think about the roster they had at one point in time, OBJ, Jarvis Landry, OJ Howard, David Nyoku, and then, and then not even to factor in the running backs that they had as well coming, you know, Chubb behind him where there was almost too much going on for anyone to have any sort of success because if someone has success, that's taking success away from somebody else. And that's my kind of fear here is that, you know, is it going to be Robbie or DJ? Is it going to be McCaffrey? Is it going to be, you know, Deontay Foreman? And a lot of that's going to come down to Ben McAdoo because part of me sees us really doing a run-heavy offense to start out, but then how do you establish your passing game? You know, you have to do both at the same time, and if you lean on one, that could get that could cause problems, you know, as, as you go along. I mean, yeah, that's honestly the biggest thing here because we really have no idea what Ben is going to want to do. We, you know, usually with even with Joe Brady and the guys before, he had a general sense of what the offense looked like. The offense generally looked the same, even from like three, from like even two coordinators ago. The offense generally looked the same, but that's because of the pieces that we had, and they you had to utilize those guys in, in certain ways. Whereas. I, uh, a Baker Mayfield led offense. One is only he's only led one truly successful offense that had actual team success, and that was in 2020. And can you lean heavy on the run like he did with those with, with those Cleveland Brown teams? All right. Well, if you do that, then how much are you like you said? How much? Like where where how where where's the priority gonna lie? with this offense. It can't really, and, and truthfully and honestly, it, it can't really rely with the ground game as much, not, not especially not with McCaffrey because of just pure usage. We've used him, when he's played, he's, his usage rate has been ridiculous, ridiculously high and his body's not getting any younger. And you know, it's like one of those things, when, like it's like a car. Once, once it starts having one issue, they usually start to compile. And that's kind of what we've seen with Christian McCaffrey. And again, I. I would have to do more research on Ben McAdoo offenses through his time in the NFL and really get a chance to to see what he would like. And but but mind you, this is the same guy he didn't like coming out of college. So it's so it's also very much a conundrum as what this is going to look like. And that's my thing too, because with with Darnold and with Corral, we knew you know more pocket passing guys that have the ability to run if needed. So you knew kind of what offense they were probably going to run with that. I mean, Baker is a mobile quarterback. You know, he, he's got an arm. He's, I wouldn't call him a pocket passer that much. I mean, we've seen him scramble when, when needed, and they could try to mold him into it, but I, I think that it still provides a different sort of aspect to your offense. And he's, he reminds me more of a, of a Ryan Tannehill or Josh Allen type of guy, you know, who's predominantly in the pocket, but will more than likely go outside of that pocket if need be. And it, I think, provides, like I said, for a lot of, ha- you know, read options, a lot of reverses, a lot of things. There's a lot more you can do that – the imagination is capped as to what, you know, McAdoo can come up with. My thing with the run is, is that I think we, I I see us, if there's ever been a time where we could lead with the run, 
it would be now because you think about it with Mike Davis, we didn't, you know, we had him back there, but we weren't utilizing both him and McCaffrey at the same time. We were hoping for that. We were like, all right, you got them both. Use them both. Like, that's why you have them. And it wasn't until he went down, then Mike Davis and Chuba, and, and then Chuba really started to show his abilities. And they, at, at any point in, in, in McCaffrey's time, even when we first started, we had Stewart. They just ran Stewart into the ground, really only used McCaffrey in wheel routes and out routes. They just use, it's always seemed like we've had a passing first offense with McCaffrey. Because if you think about it, I mean, like it wasn't really till 2019, I'd say that we actually started running McCaffrey in between the tackles. It was more so right. your, it was more so your passing routes or your out or your, you know, or we were running him in the tackles, but we didn't have the line to do that. And that's where those hits lied. And it was only when he had, you know, we think, I, I think back to some of the diving touchdowns, San Francisco, or excuse me, Kansas city, trying to catch that touchdown, that pass to set us up in the red zone. And that's when he threw his shoulder off. And even in Texan in, in Texas, he was trying to juke someone out, out in the flats and, and, and it, you know, his leg went to shit there. So it's almost, I think, if there's a time to where we could lead with the run and it would be beneficial, I think it would be beneficial for McCaffrey under the guise that we don't solely put all the work on him. You've got Foreman, you've got Hubbard. They've both proven that they can, they can gain, they can pick up yards. Hubbard inexplicably did it with the line we had last year. He was the only one that really was able to get big gains consistently, you know, whenever we had him out there. And then Foreman, you know, the Titans line last year was not what it has not been what it was in the past five years. It's not been an all pro line by any means. They still had guys out there, but Lawan was gone for most of that year and they had already, already lost some of their bigger names. So Foreman we've seen has the ability to, to put together some runs. And I think if both properly, if all three properly utilized, I mean, it would, for me would be the point where I'm using McCaffrey, you know, first down, second down if needed it's not to the thing for me i would see you know we used to do mccaffrey he would get you four or five yards first down cool put him right back in do the same mm -hmm. thing for me no don't do that he gets you four or five yards put hubbard in he'll do he'll, he'll do something similar and then if you need that push at third down put in foreman you know you don't need to utilize him as much as the red zone anymore and it, and you're gonna want to not to if you want to keep him around as a talent for a long period of time because we've seen what that workload has done to guys like zeke and Zeke didn't even have the majority of the touches this year, and it helped him. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, I, the biggest thing is going to be how they want to go about doing it. I mean, like I said, it's like playing a game of chess back there when you talk about rotations. I mean, when do you throw a guy in? When's the right time? If a guy's got the hot hand, how long do you let that hot hand rock until it's time to pull him out and and you know, and get and give him a breather. Again, that's a lot, a lot, a lot of those things that I do trust McAdoo with that I did the previous coordinator, which was Joe Brady. I, I think you know, trusting that the McAdoo seems more feasible. A guy that's you know, he's he, by all, by the mere fact that he's been in this game for a long time at this level, I trust him to pull that off and trust him to properly plan out, map out how he wants to use his running game. And I, I, again, I, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of options, man, but with, 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 with Baker, the funniest thing is, is that, you know, having weapons was never, was never his issue in Cleveland. It was always the consistency at the coordinator spot or the head coaching spot. So again, he's coming into a new coaching situation again with similar, not necessarily the same, type of uh, same level of talent in Carolina, but overall probably a more consistent group than the one in Cleveland. So it's like, I, so, I mean, 
who who is it gonna fall on? I mean, I, I mean, if it doesn't work, who are we looking to pin the blame on? I guess it's probably gonna be the biggest thing. I'm I'm wondering here. I mean, as far as talent goes, in terms of the Browns at the height with Baker Mayfield and what we have right now, I'd say it's comparable, almost even. I mean, DJ Robbie and OBJ were performing just as much on uh, respectively you know yeah. they were you had them for a handful of touchdowns throughout the season but then pretty much quiet after that Jarvis and and, and DJ doing more of the grunt work when needed and then Nick Chubb and, and and McCaffrey I mean they've been compared to each other their entire careers in terms of output health and 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 what they can do on the field they've always been you know I think even on the Madden rankings I think they were pretty much right then and there uh, on top of each other. So I would say that, yeah, it's been, it's, and that's always been, that's what my biggest fear with Baker was at least with, you know, Jimmy, he had some sort of consistent consistency in his, his coaching staff, but the production wasn't there. And that's why I didn't want Jimmy either. But for Baker, that's always been my issue is the consistency that he's not going to have here, provided he stays any longer than two, three years. I really just don't see McAdoo staying around that long, regardless of what happens. My and and that's the whole thing as to why I want this decision to be made on the quarterback in training camp. You obviously will have to flesh it out in preseason, but I really don't think like by week one you need you need to know like you need to know that way you don't have to spend any more brain power trying to go okay we're gonna put Baker in now then maybe Sam could come in okay well maybe Sam's not feeling too good let's put in Corral like you need to get that out of the way so you can focus on your running backs you can focus on your defense your offensive line because. The issue I see, especially this season, is what we've seen in the past is that, you know, is is the depth of our position groups. Cornerback, back, you know, defense, I'm not as super worried about except for linebacker. That's mm-hmm. where I get concerned. Offensive line, the guys we have behind in the second level are not great or they're going to have to be rotating a lot, learning to play, you know, like, you know, guys like Staley who are still trying to figure their thing out are going to have to be ready to play, you know, left guard, right guard, left guard, or, you know, left tackle, yeah. whatever they want to play. So you need to get that quarterback decision out of the way right then and there and and not do what you did what you did to Cam because that was the what you did with Cam that was the downfall of that whole sort of system. And talking about Cam, I want to I wanted to get your your thoughts are there any is do you think there's any validity to Cam to the Browns at all? Well, after the Rosen signing, nah, I, I, I the Rosen signing to me only tells me that they're signing another backup because because if you sign Rosen we, I don't think anybody thinks Rose is better than Jacoby Brissett. No. Jacoby Brissett has played much better football. I mean, not even – I don't have to think that. He's played much better yeah. football than Josh Rose. Because he's played it. He's actually played it, exactly. He's actually gotten regular season starts and, and actually won. So, Rose is – that's, that's more of a backup move. But at this point, I mean, I have to ask. I mean, is Cam any better than Jacoby Brissett? I, 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 I doubt – like it is dicey, and it's like it's split. Like I would probably lean more towards Brissett, being that he's played more consistent football than Cam. You know? Yeah, I mean that's what, and he's been and just sheer like been with that organization a little bit longer, and his health hasn't been as big of an issue as it's been for Cam. I, I with those you know factors off the board, you would you would you would have to go with Cam. Like it it pains me to say that, and every fiber of my being does not want to say that, but. I just I thought it'd be I mean I just thought it was funny seeing all those things come out you know the minute Baker gets signed then there's that and even after the Rosen stuff I still saw people talking about it and and yeah it, it's one of those things where it's like if if Cam's in a situation where he has an entire you know the the full amount of time to work with a system and learn this I don't think there's too many guys beating Cam Newton out for a job no I think he makes it tough for any coach to say. He's just gonna be my backup when 
if he's operating at full at full speed, mentally having having everything on lock, and physically still having the tools that he has, you ain't finding too many guys that can create offensive production like he does. No. And that and that and that's and you saw that even in 2020 with the with the Patriots, even though at times again it didn't look very fluid, and, and you start you still you still can see that production is still there, and he can generate points. Even last year with Carolina towards the end, you still saw that even even though it does not look pretty, he can put points on the board, and that's a hard thing to just say no to. Exactly. So, um, but right now, bro, I, I don't even have Cam touching a roster this year. Um, every day, every day that he goes without getting signed, it, it, it just it lessens his value for the one thing. I mean, it, because it's going to take that time, like you said, for him to be able to be productive. He's got to gel with that team, no matter who he's with. It's going to, it's just going to take that time. Unfortunately, just for who Cam is as a person, as a player, it's going to take that time. I uh, now another one I want to talk about, and I it, it just dropped early yesterday is a uh, is Julio to the Bucks. Is that I mean, that's just a desperation move in my in my mind. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a fine move. It's a it's a solid move. It's not the move I think everybody thinks it is. Like it's solid. Like he's gonna be behind you know Evans Godwin. You know people are saying Russell Gage. Um, they're not expecting Julio Jones to come in and be the Julio Jones of Atlanta. You know they're not expecting the, the all pro Julio Jones. So I mean like. And of course, a guy that has struggled with soft tissue injuries as much as he has throughout his career, especially the last couple of years, is I think it's a great situation for him. You don't have the pressure of having to be the guy. You can come in and be and produce as needed, and you can possibly sit in the wings and and capture a ring. I don't. I think if they get a ring and Julio is is playing, he's gonna play a significant role. I think if as the season progresses. Like, I don't think Russell Gage is better is good enough to keep Julio Jones away from the starting lineup for no. an entire 17 game season. So, no. but he's gonna produce something. He's gonna be productive. I think if he stays healthy, and I hope he does stay healthy. He's a great. He's one of those players where he's a physical. He, he's a he's a physical phenom, and you hate to see a guy like that not be productive because of injuries. Exactly. It's the same thing with Cam Newton. And, but for me, I think it probably provides you the same. It's about the same deal as Antonio Brown to the Bucks, And I think that's the same exact role that I think he would play. You know, he'll be good for a few. It, you'll be covering, you know, Evans and you'll be covering. I mean, because Evans and him are, 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 you know, along the same line and echelon of the yeah. receiver in terms of what they provide for a team. But it's going to be one of those things where like, OK, you're covering Godwin and you're covering, you know, um, and, and you're covering Mike. So. He's gonna get he's gonna get open, you know. Without Gronk there, it's gonna be a little bit different than when Antonio was was there because he had the also the luxury of Gronk up the middle, so that opened up you know Antonio to be up in the middle a little bit when necessary. But I think that's about you know all it really provides. Like yeah, I mean, it doesn't scare me anymore for the Bucks. That at this point they're just trying to keep you know I think they're gonna go along with this you know signing these veterans there at the end because they're just gonna try to make these you know splash moves because they thought that's what worked to get them to the Super Bowl. That's not what it was. It was you know, having getting it was your defense, and then hap, and then getting convincing Tom Brady to come, you know, to Tampa Bay. Absolutely, man. They're they're in they're at that stage where like you know, like super teams get in the NBA once they get their one. You're just trying to maintain. That's all you're trying to do at this point. You're just trying to maintain. You're not developing guys at this point. You're just trying to. You're playing for Super Bowls, so you have no time to go to, go, to grab guys that you need to develop and mold and into anything. We need guys that can come in and play right away understand what it takes to win and be productive. Julio Jones is exactly that. 
I would like to see him get a ring, and I think it'd be funnier to see him get a ring with the Bucks and not the Falcons. Now, that's not to say I want the Bucks to get a ring anytime soon, but if he's going to get a ring, I mean, he's one of those guys that the talent alone and the, you know, what he did in terms of for that position alone deserve is deserving of a ring. But I, and I think it would just be funny to see him do it on the Bucks and not the Falcons. Oh, but absolutely. But I, you know, I want Julio to look like Julio again. I was really hoping he would look like Julio in Tennessee. I was too. Yeah, I thought that if he got back to a semblance of his old self with alongside AJ Brown and Derrick Henry, this could be a real problem for everybody in the league. But that never that never materialized, and now you know Tennessee's left with nothing at wide receiver. Not necessarily Literally. nothing, but you know you got the kid out of Arkansas, but I don't. That's not going to materialize. I mean, the, the, it flipped their script ridiculously, and I think honestly, had Derrick not gone down when he did they would not have been as pressed to get Julio out on the field because without Derek out on the field, like your offense, there was just drained. And I think if they, cause all, all Julio really needed was just a few more weeks to just not be on the field because that was a problem. He would be on the week. He'd be on the field. He'd be productive for about two weeks. Boom injury, right? He's off for another three weeks again. So if Derek had never gone down and, and, and Ryan hadn't, you know, been it cause the pressure then came on Tannehill to perform. And and he needs all his guys out there to perform well. And so if that that didn't happen, I think Julio, because I think that was a, per, a match made in heaven. Absolutely. And, and then you I get mean, yo, sorry, go ahead. Well, so you get one of those things again, also though, where it's two guys playing very similar roles on that team. Him and AJ played very similar roles in terms of who they are as wide receivers. And I think sometimes that doesn't always gel when you have two, you know, big body red zone threats. AJ yeah. Brown was obviously a, bit, a little bit, a little bit, I think a little bit better as a route runner at that point in time. But oh, yeah. um, I, I, I would agree. AJ Brown's one of, to me, he's one of the 15 best receivers in the game. So, I mean, uh, but, but for but for Julio Jones, I mean, I, one thing I will say, if you look at any of the seasons where he hasn't finished the entire year, his production is still ridiculously high. And if he, and if you project it out for 16 to 17 games, He's gonna be in the top five of almost every category at for for for, for the receiver for the receiver position. So I mean, if he it, for Tampa Bay, the goal is to get him through the season. I think a season, a full season of Julio being healthy is gonna be productive. So absolutely, get him through the season. If that means bringing him on slowly or or limiting the reps, of course, do what you got to do. Main thing for him, get him to the postseason. Get exactly. him to the postseason, and then let him loose at that point. At, that's what I think it would it would be there too. And it'll be interesting to see how it flushes out with the NFC South because there's a lot of different ways that the NFC South can go. Just a lot of different, a lot of different things up there. But it all starts here in, in training camp, and we're going to be looking at different things as we go along uh, uh, through training camp. And so one thing I want to say all before we go, a uh, cool new thing happening, especially if you're in the Charlotte area, which I know a good amount of our listeners are. A company called Bay Heckle Sports is trying to overhaul their uh, their coverage, especially of high school and then the different sort of minor league teams around the area. Um, and our own Jeff Taylor is a part of it pretty heavily. So if you like listening to us, if you like what we do, they'll put out a similar vibe. So go out, go and give them a follow on social media, wherever you can. And just stay with us as we go through training camp. Y'all we're getting towards the end of it. We've only got a few more weeks left. Uh, we'll have uh, just another week left on this season before we take a little bit of a hiatus, not too long, but just to get prepared mentally for what is looking to be a tumultuous season for the Panthers and just the NFL as a whole. So until then keep waiting and keep pounding.